This week's On The Ledge is supported by True Leaf Market, the indoor and outdoor growing experts. US listeners, you can get 10% off your first purchase at trueleafmarket.com now using the code ONTHELEDGE. Whether you want to grow shiitake mushrooms or start sprouting your own tasty salads, True Leaf Market has all the kit to make it happen. Check out their detailed starter guides on the trueleafmarket.com website to guide you every step of the way in your growing journey. So, get 10% off your first purchase at True Leaf Market now using the code on the ledge. True Leaf Market's products come with a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so I know you won't be disappointed. True Leaf Market, bringing the seed you need. Hello and welcome to On The Ledge podcast. If you're suffering from window envy and your house or home is dark and gloomy, this is the episode for you. I'm talking to Lisa Eldred Steinkoff, aka The Houseplant Guru, about her new book, Grow in the Dark, and all the wonderful houseplants that you can grow in less than ideal light conditions. I'll also be answering a question about why many houseplants have red undersides and I'll be bringing you a little preview of what we've got coming up in the 100th episode. Yes, it's nearly here. Thank you to all my Patreon subscribers. They've been joined this week by... Jess, who's become a crazy plant person, Cody and Casey, who have both become On The Ledge super fans, which means they get to join the On The Ledge advisory board and get an exclusive, exclusive postcard that nobody else even gets to see. So well done to all of them. Details of how to become a patron are in my show notes as always. Thank you to all of you who have sent me messages for the 100th episode. The opportunity has now passed. I am working on the episode uh, this week. So if you haven't sent a message, I'm afraid you won't be able to be included in the show. But, you know, if you love On The Ledge and you want to tell me that, that will be fine. I would still love to hear from you. On The Ledge podcast at gmail.com is the best place for all of your comments tips, queries and requests for things to cover in the show. It's a blast working on this 100th episode, I have to say. There'll be a bloopers reel at the end with, (laughs) I think the the summary of it will be don't work with children and animals and that'll be fun. But there'll also be the things I've learnt from working on On The Ledge your comments, of course, and a lot of shout outs and thank you to the people who've helped me along the way. Plus, I'm also giving away something rather awesome. I'm going to be doing a giveaway for a Mother Bloom grow light. This is an LED grow light, which is very, very stylish. You may remember it from my episode where I went to the Netherlands and I'm giving one away. This is a global giveaway because they post globally. So one lucky listener will get a mother grow light. I will post all the details of how to enter uh, in my episode 100 show notes. So do listen out for that. But in the meantime, let's get on with this week's show. 
Grow in the Dark is the new book from Lisa Eldred Steinkoff. And if you've binge listened to every episode of On the Ledge, you may remember that she appeared back in episode 28, talking about her first book, Houseplants, The Complete Guide. Now she's focused in on the plants that will grow if your windows are small, maybe you don't have that many windows, or maybe they're all facing north. She's got loads of tips and tricks and suggestions for dealing with these kind of situations which are helpful to all of us who've got anything less than a greenhouse to be growing in. I called her up for a chat about how the book came about, some of the big hitters in the shady house plants world, how to make the most of the light you've got, and also how to tell if your plant really is unhappy with its light conditions. Hi, Jane. It's Lisa Stankoff over here in America. Um, luckily, we're not drowning yet, but it's very wet over here. Um, but I've been inside working with my house plants because that's what I do all the time. If I can, when I have time and I'm not writing, I'm puttering with my house plants because I'm the house plant guru. Yay. Sounds lovely. That sounds like just the kind of thing that I like to do. And I wish that I would had some of that rain over here. Send some my way because we've had a very dry spring here and uh, I've been doing rain dances trying to get it to rain here. So, yeah, we need some of that over this this way. It's just crazy. Like the people in, in mid, you know, middle America would just die to give away the water. That's literally <laughs> all that's showing is their rooftop. Weather is a great factor, isn't it, for the outdoor garden? But that's one of the delights of, of indoor gardening is that this is not so much of a factor. But a big factor is what you're covering in your new book with a seamless segue. Um, your new book looks at plants that will grow in less than ideal light conditions, grow in the dark. This is a great topic because it's an absolute perennial question uh, about houseplants is, oh, well, I've got no light. What can I grow? So this is a, a great topic to be tackled in your book. Was that why you wrote it? Because you had so many people going, tell us the answer, Lisa. You know what? I'm going to I'm going to tell you the the copy or not the copy editor, but one of the editors of the last book that was setting up the last the first book. She was a young I'm going to say millennial because that's what they are. Um, they hate us when we call them that, but, um, <laughs> and when she says, she says, I've read, I've learned so much just, you know, laying out your book and reading your book and I love it. She goes, but I have, I'm in an apartment and I have no light. So let's, let's write a book about low light house plants. So it was really all her idea. And I give her the credit and the acknowledgements It's her idea. And I'm like, sure, I, that works for me. So, um, we ran with it and there's some, but it is one of the biggest questions I have. I have no light or, you know, what, where, what can I grow? And, but I, you know, the thing is I tell them to really, really figure out how much light you have. You know, do you have a crisp shadow when the sun's coming through the window? Is there no sun coming through the window? Which way do you face? That is my big thing. Are you facing east, west, north, south? It, that's a big thing with me because we own a garden center. A lot of people, you'll ask them, which way does your house face? So we can sell them a shrub that works in that. And they just tell me it points toward the road. You know, my house <laughs> faces the road. And I'm like, okay, so I'm really sarcastic, you know, if the sun comes up in your window in the morning, it faces east. <laughs> That's really interesting. That's, it's so interesting because you're absolutely right. Lots of people don't know that. And as a gardener, that's the first thing I want to find out. I mean, it reminds me of that. I don't know if you watched The Wire, but in The Wire, there's an episode where this policeman gets drilled on always knowing exactly where you are, like what street intersection you're at so that if there's an incident, you can you can call it in and know your exact location. And for a gardener, it's kind of the same. You need to know... Your, the aspect of your 
of your property so that you know exactly what light you're getting. But it's amazing how many people don't know that. No, I bought a house facing west or east. I always, I try to always, I've had two houses, they both face east. I would have bought one across the street if that was what was for sale. But I'm very happy because then I can have rhododendrons and azaleas and dogwoods and all those things that kind of need protection here, but love that east sun. Okay. Yeah, my house is, house is on a north-south axis, which is not ideal. Um, so I have no, hardly any. Do I have any? I don't think I have any. I have one um, window that faces um, west. So yes, there's not a great deal of. It's not ideal. But there we go. We. Uh, but I have got a big. Um, my north-facing back of my house faces north, but it's got a big glass-roofed room, which is brilliant for plants. So that's that is a big plus. So when you're in your house, presumably you've, you've looked at the map and you've established whether you're north, south, east or west. Um, what then, once you know which way your windows face, can you assess in terms of how the uh, light is coming in? I mean, are there some simple, simple pointers in terms of without going to the extent of getting a light meter, which some people might want to go down the route of. But assuming you don't want to do that, how do you tell how strong the light is? Well, first, the first thing I tell them is, you know, look out, so you know you know which way you face. You may face south, but if you have a, a, a evergreen shrub, a house three feet away, or, you know, another apartment building, uh, an awning, you know, there's there's other factors, but let's assume that you have an open, an open area, so you're getting the total east sun. So, you know, first of all, I tell people, read your plant tags, which I know can be the wrong thing to say sometimes, because they'll just say, hi, I'm a house plant, <laughs> you know, or they may be the wrong tag. You know, we're all, we're all human and we can tags get mixed up. So I tell them that if there's not a picture on the tag, first Google it, Google the plant that's on the, the tag says it is and make sure it looks like the plant that you have. But then if it is read the tag, does it say medium light, uh, low light or highlight? And then in the, in the book, I give them a little chart. You know, if it says highlight, um, bright light, you know, full sun, then you know that probably needs a south window or a west, a really close to a west window because that's where your biggest full sun situation is. Mm-hmm. If it says it needs medium light, you know, then you're heading for your west window or your east window. If it says low light, you know, you can come back three or four feet from a south window or a few feet from a west window, put it in the east window, or then maybe now you can have some plants in the north window. I guess the meat of this book is your listing of your top 50 low light house plants. Let's dive right in there. What's at number? Is it, is it ranked or is it just 50 plants? No. What's at number no, one? <laughs> it's, they want it the alphabetical. They mean no, okay. it's alphabetical by common name. Okay. But is there one that you kind of, what's your, what's your sort of number one recommendation? I think the lowest, the low light plant recommendation, the number one is the ZZ plant. Yes. I, I just, that thing, I, I swear, I think it could probably, I tell people it could probably grow in a closet, but let's not put it there. Um, <laughs> it, it can take really low light and survive and, and almost thrive in really low light be, and hardly any water because it has that fleshy root system. Um, I also think the pothos, the all dark green one, really does well. You know, I know a lot of people say the snake plant, but we all, I don't know, most of us know, if you're really good with plants, that a snake plant can it will survive in low light. Mm. It's not going to thrive. If we put it in full sun, it's going to thrive and break a pot and send out flowers and procreate like nobody's business. But it will survive in low light. So, you know, that's another choice. Pothos, the Z plant, philodendrons. I think my grape ivy does pretty good without a lot of sun. Some of the calatheas. Uh, the silver, 
Silver Satin Photos does very well with not much light. If you're trying something out in, in a lower light situation, what's the first signs that a plant isn't happy in, in low light? What, what will it, how will it signal to you that you need to move it somewhere brighter? Well, I think it's going to just start looking kind of, uh, you know, it could start having yellow leaves. The problem with the low light, sometimes the, the way you know it's in too low of light is that it rots because you've given it water and it didn't have enough light to use all that water that you had given it. So a lot of times it's not even that it's dying from low light, it's dying from having too much water in a low light situation. A lot of people still water on a schedule, which I tell everybody not to do. You know, every week it gets water whether it's using that water or not. That's because that's when I water my plants. I tell them to check it on a schedule, don't water it on a schedule. So, you know, it, and it's going to start, like, you know, you always see those snake plants, back to that ubiquitous, ubiquitous snake plant, can't even say that word, um, that it starts flopping because it can't it can't stay upright anymore because it's it's just it's weak it's a weak plant it's reaching for light it's not its leaves aren't as thick as it was so it's just kind of flopping over a lot of plants will flop they'll reach toward the light if there is any you know whatever light that they have they're going to reach for it they're going to start that phototropism and start leaning toward the light trying to get as much as they can so that's another um, indicator that it needs more light it's sad, really sad when you see somebody, you know, I've seen it many times where somebody's bought, gone and bought a succulent, a rosette succulent, like an Echeveria or something from a non-specialist shop. And they've just put it on a very dark spot in their home and it's gone like a big firework just going up and up and up. The poor thing's searching for light. It's so common, isn't it, that this happens? I feel bad because they lo people love succulents so much. And, mm. and I do. I love them. I collect them. But I do have a sunroom that I can put them in. And they're all in like the south windows, the west windows, as close as I can get them. But a lot of people just think that you can buy these plants. It's kind of the, I don't know what, I don't know how they're getting these ideas that you can just, any plant can just go anywhere. I can put it in the middle of my dining room table. It doesn't matter what it is. And it, the light may be 20 feet away, but it's going to be okay because there's a, there's a window here and any plant can, you know, survive. And they don't realize that most succulents, other than Haworthias, and some of the gasterias are so high light. And if they don't put them in high light, they're going to start flopping. They're going to lose their leaves. They're going to stretch. They're going to rot. It all ends in disaster, doesn't it? If you've got a plant that you've got your low light plant, but your room really is rather dark and gloomy. Is there, are there any sort of hacks that you can do to make the most of the light you've got or bounce it around in a different way? Okay. So, you know, if you can buy two plants, the same, two same plants. So you have two. One is, if you can, one is in a better light situation. And this is more of that's like you really want that plant in that area because it's decorative. Um, not that maybe because buying two plants and putting one in the light, I guess if you had light, you'd put the plant in that window. But you could grow some under, you could put it under light in another room or something. But if it's really someplace you really want a plant and there's not a lot of light, you can buy two and switch them out. Get You know, so one is really healthy. The other one starts to decline. You switch them. That's ridiculously simple, but clever. I just, I can't think, believe I've never thought of that before. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes it works. You know, it's like you buy two of the same plant and people don't, even, you know, because you, you go to a lot of these commercial buildings and people have these beautiful plants. and You're like, hmm. And you think, well, that can grow there. Well, you don't know that with commercial, I used to work for an interior scaper and they, you know, they switch the plants out quite often to make them always look nice. So that's kind of just a, a thought. Um, 
I know mirrors don't make a huge difference, but I do, you know, mirrors are very in. If they're across the room from a south window, um, it's going to reflect, you know, light onto your plant and give it a little, a little boost, just a little boost. Um, light walls don't plant. I know dark walls uh, are kind of in style. I put everything in my house is pastel or white because it's reflecting light. No, there actually, there's no white in my house. Everything's pastel. I like color. Um, the next door neighbor, you know, how if you're close to a house or you're close to a, a building and they're, you know, they're painting it, this dark gray seems to be the color to paint houses now, but you can talk them into painting their house white. It's going to reflect light into your window. <laughs> lose the awnings. I tell people, lose your awnings. Some people still have awnings on their house. Trim your trees outside. You know, you don't have to cut them down. I don't recommend, I don't would never cut a tree down unless I was, it was dead or dying. But, um, you know, you can always trim it and thin it out and let some more light into your house. I had, hadn't really thought about the, the wall colour being an issue. But of course, yeah, that makes perfect sense that it would be. And it is so popular to have dark walls now, isn't it? I mean, I'm, I have got a, a dark navy blue kitchen, but it's it's not on every wall. It's only on, well, t- it's on one, one wall, really. So the rest of it is white. So I guess that balances out. And I guess then if that isn't enough, then grow lights are the next logical step. Yes, and I do have lights. You know, I do have some plants under lights just because I like African violets. I'm in the African Violet Club. They all have African, they all have lights. Plus, it gives you more room to have more plants. <laughs> if you can, you know, utilize your basement or an unused bedroom that doesn't, maybe doesn't have a lot of light, you can put up a light stand and add more plants. Yeah, those light stands, I learned about those when I did the episode with Annie Recon African Violets. And it's not something I'd really come across. But yeah, I think it should be striking heart into the stories striking terror into my husband's heart the idea that i can kind of like make dark spaces uh very comfortable for houseplants by coming up with one of these light carts i don't even know if you can buy them in the uk i've not seen anything like that but i've definitely seen them on american websites and so uh no doubt they'll come our way eventually or perhaps i've just been looking on the wrong sites here well i I can't imagine that gardener supply doesn't ship over there yeah they have a lot of fabulous light carts called you know gardener supply but you're lucky that you're if you just are starting it and coming into it you know leds are the new Mm. thing where i can honestly say that i'm still living kind of in the dark (laughs) ages as they say with my t12 huge old fluorescent lights that are horribly not economical and you have to have them on 12 to 14 hours a day but i just haven't switched over it just hasn't been a priority to switch over to the because they're working over to the leds but i need to do that just to i don't have very many lights um, fans. I just have a couple um, because it's so you'd only have to leave them on like four to six or like six hours, eight hours compared to 12 to 14. So it is much more cost effective. And I guess over here in the UK, perhaps our, our power bills, I think, are probably higher than yours. <laughs> Everyone's trying to save money on electricity. Oh. So that's and also I think LED lights, certainly IKEA has been selling LED uh, grow lights for a lot longer. I don't know if they're they're out yet. Their ones are out yet in the US, but certainly they've been they've been available for a while, which is where a lot of people start with grow lights is with something very simple like that, screwing those into a normal a normal lamp. So uh, and then the bug bites hard and they end up buying all kinds of you know further high tech stuff. Um, but yeah, it's it's um, yeah over here we're, we're we're bitten by huge electricity bills, so everyone's kind of looking for oh. um, a way of. I do tell people that just even even just having a plant, you know, maybe the plant's getting decent light, and then at night you you flip on your your even if it's an incandescent bulb, or put one of those you know those fluorescents, those compact fluorescents, and you have that on for another two or three hours at night. 
it's still giving that plant light. Mm -hmm. Not a ton of light, but it's going to boost it a little bit. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's not a bad thing either. When you get that situation where you've got somebody with an apartment and a low light situation, perhaps they've only got high, small windows, or does that also tend to indicate if they don't have a lot of, of window space that plants might be rather stuffy and air circulation might also be an issue does that do they kind of come hand in hand well you know if that would that would does make sense i do have in in my i have a spare bedroom that has those lights in them and my sunroom uh it's kind of it's really it was meant for to have people in it you know it's a sunroom with a brick floor and then you know it has windows but it's really just a plant room and there's a i do have fans going in both those rooms ceiling fans they're on every day, all day, all night, year-round, just for air circulation because it is kind of stagnant in that room. I have it closed off, and, you know, the lights add some heat to the room, so I do keep the fan going. So that does make a difference. And I, we did talk about that, that garden apartment. That was one thing we did add to the book because I hadn't even thought about that because I've never lived in an apartment. I got married, you know, Midwestern girl, moved to the suburbs. Um, so I never have lived in an apartment. And I had never thought about those garden apartments where you're down, you're down in the basement and you just have really high windows. And I'm like, well, you can either build a shelf on, you know, maybe put a shelf on the window to make the window fill deeper or use tree form plants so that maybe they're higher up already, plant stands. Um, that, is, that is hard. Plus, you're kind of at the level where people can look in. So, But, you know, at my house, the plants are, the windows are so full of plants, no one can look in. <laughs> they become your curtains. Yes, that is a good way to go. Yes, that's right. This week's On The Ledge is sponsored by Babbel, the language learning app that will have you speaking a new language with confidence. My absolute favourite holiday ever was visiting Umbria in Italy. We stayed in a hilltop hotel, which was absolutely gorgeous, set in the centre of an olive grove. Wow, it was an amazing trip, but I really wished during that trip that my Italian was better. People kept mistaking me for a local. It must have been my incredible sense of style. But anyway, I couldn't reply. I couldn't even say, I'm sorry, I don't know what you're saying. And that's why I'd like to improve my Italian language this summer. And the great thing about Babbel is it's designed to get you quickly speaking your new language within weeks. Babbel's teaching method has been proven to be effective across multiple studies and the lessons are really quick and convenient at just 10 to 15 minutes per session. And because the lessons are created by actual people rather than a machine, so you really are getting something that's been handcrafted and is tested and will work. You can try Babbel for free. Go to babbel.com or download the app and try it for free. That's Babbel, B-A-B-B-E-L.com or download the app to try for free. Babbel. Speak a new language with confidence. We'll be back with Lisa Eldred Steinkoff in a little bit, but first it's time for Question of the Week, which comes from Lara. She emailed on the ledgepodcast.gmail.com, subject line, red underside of leaves query. She loves the podcast. Thank you, Lara. And she says she can't find the answer to her query about why it's common in certain plants, for example, the marantas and many begonias, to have red colouring on the underside of their leaves, even if the top side is a different colour. Why red? Lara from Sydney, Australia. That is a very good question. 
The plants that you've mentioned, the marantas and begonias, tend to live at understory level in a landscape. That means that they're generally not exposed to a heck of a lot of light. The first thing to say is that scientists aren't exactly sure why at the moment. I will post a link to at least one academic paper which talks about this subject, which if you really want to get deep into, it's worth having a look at. There is a theory that the red underside helps to reflect light back up into the layers of chlorophyll above so that basically they maximise their light. So if any light doesn't get absorbed by the chlorophyll as it passes through on the way down, then it gets bounced back up. However, this paper that I found, which is um, which comes which dates back to 2008, basically says that they did an experiment and discovered that that theory, the, the backscatter hypothesis, as they call it, um, which doesn't seem to support that as being correct. So what is going on? Well, one other paper I found from 2015 suggests that the red pigment, the anthocyanins, in the base layer of the leaf actually stops light passing through to the forest floor below. And it suggested that that then stops other seedlings of competitor plants from germinating below the plant, reducing the competition. It should be said that the paper I'm talking about doesn't refer to begonia or calathea species, but to Saxifraga hirsuta, which is another species with red undersides to its leaves. So I can't say whether the authors of this paper would extend this to uh, begonias and calatheas, but it's a very interesting theory. And it does point to the fact that really there's very great amounts that we still don't understand about how many plants that we grow commonly as houseplants actually work. And that's why it's so important that we have botanists studying this stuff in a rigorous scientific way so we can get some answers. And if you're a botanist and you're shouting at me right now because I've misexplained anything or you have a better explanation for all this, then please do get in touch. I am always more than happy to be corrected by listeners. So if you've got wisdom on this subject, let me know straight away and we'll get you on the show. And now back to my shady chat with Lisa, where I dredge up a low light plant from the very furthest recesses of my brain, which is quite a scary place, I can tell you. One thing that I've found that's done really well in low light conditions, which we haven't mentioned, is, uh, my gosh, my brain's gone completely blank. Um, Tradescantius... Am I going to say Tradescantius spadacea? I'm going to just have to grab a book now just to make sure that I'm getting... Like the Moses, the purple one, the Moses yes, and the Borussia? Yes, that's the one. Um, that yeah. seems to do yeah. really I, well. I don't know if it's Tradescantia or it's Rowey. Rowey, I don't know either. Yeah, I'm not very good at those. You know, I used to have one of those, but it kind of got long and lanky and it didn't speak to me. <laughs> I've got a sort of three of them that are sitting um, on the back, in the back of my kitchen right next to the navy blue wall. And they seem to be doing really well without much light. Really, the only light they've got coming in is through the, the side door, which is west facing and frosted, I should say. And they seem to be really, really happy um, and provide me with so little in the way of uh, maintenance that I'm, that I'm very happy with them. Um, the other one that are... Like you say, with the, the snake plants, I have found that my snake plants 
that I put in very low light conditions really did start to look quite miserable. Um, I guess you, your tactic for the switching out is a really good idea because any plant I would presume put in the darkest corner of the darkest room, you know, that's just going to be too dark for possibly anything other than the double Z plant. They need perhaps to have a holiday, a light holiday. Is that a good idea? I know a lot of people take them outside. I don't just because I have so many, it would take forever for me to take all my plants out. But I also feel like, you know, I have a, I've written about it. I have a, a Boston fern that's been in my family since, you know, it, my, my mom got it in 1957, but she got it from great grandma. So we've had it forever. I've had one in my house for 34 years and it does drop leaflets. That's just what ferns do. But a lot of people bring them in from outside and they drop every leaf and they're just like, I can't grow it. But you know what? I, I think starting a plant, like you're saying, those, those transcantias or the purple, what a purple plant, um, or whatever you call it, that they grow well against your, your, your wall. I think a plant gets used to and acclimates to the situation that it is in. So I have a friend who has a ficus, a ficus benjamina, benjamina, which is a very high light plant, would prefer high light. It is growing in her office with, now those lights, there's, and there's fluorescent lights, and they're probably about, you know, it's six feet away from it. It's in a completely windowless room, and it's been in that room for years, and it's actually has new growth on it. It's not as scrawny as you would think it would be, and those lights are only on five days a week. So, I mean, that's a highlight plant doing pretty well in just plain fluorescent light for only five days a week, maybe, what, nine or ten hours a day. So I, it just gotten used to it. It's not the fullest plant. It's, you know, it's not like it would be if it was in full sun. But it's doing very well, and it's green, and, it, and, it's, and it's nice. So I just think once a plant, if you start out with a young plant, you know, and you acclimate it it's acclimated to the spot that you have it in and you leave it there sometimes they do well just because that's what they're used to you're not moving it into highlight back into this low light outside inside sometimes i don't think that's beneficial you get them all pumped up and then you bring them back in and it's like oh (laughs) yeah they're like damn we're back inside yeah is are there any flowering plants that will survive in in lower light conditions or does is they are they do they count themselves out because because of by the fact they're flowering, they're just going to need more light. Well, I and I do tell people if it's a flowering plant, you know, steer if you don't have a lot of light, steer clear of it. But a, a piece of leaf blooms pretty good in not extremely high light, medium light. They bloom, they still keep blooming. But I don't, I can't think of anything else. Maybe someone else can that really blooms and blooms well in really low light. If you have an east window, you you know you're gonna get you're gonna get your phal. If you have an east window with some or some good light, you could get your phalaenopsis, your you know African violet, to bloom. And if you somebody's like, well, I don't have any light, and I get my African violet to bloom, then you have more light than what you think you do, because if something's not blooming that should be blooming, the only thing that's gonna make it bloom is more light, right? I've got a curveball of a question here, which I've been meaning to ask an American expert because, uh, well, you, you know me and Dr. David Hesseon, but one yeah. of the plants, I, I just, this is, this, you may know nothing about this, but I just, I'm just so curious about this. One of the plants that I've been wondering about since I first got this book back in, gosh, what year was this published? Uh, probably about 19, gosh, I don't know. I'm looking, oh, no, well, this was published in 1980. Um, 
and I've never come across this plant. It's called the indoor oak. And it's, Dr. Hesseon tells me that this is a rarity in Europe, but it's gaining popularity in the US, where it was introduced from Africa some years ago. So the Latin name is Nicodemia diversifolia. I've never seen or heard anything about this plant. I'm just wondering whether you, as an expert in the US, have ever come across it, or if it's just something that has kind of faded into complete obscurity. And it's called Nicodema? Like N-I-C-O-D-E-M-A? N-I-C-O-D-E-M-I-A. And it, like and it does say that it's a plant that can take sem semi-shade. Um, but I, I've just, it's completely, it's like the, the, the um, a, a lost city of Atlantis of the houseplant world. I, I, I can be honest and say, if I have seen it, I did not know that's what it was. No, I've never, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get my okay. website my or my uh, whatever you call it and see if I can see it, what it is. Please do, because I... I, it's one of those ones I've been wondering about for the past, gosh, probably 40 years. <laughs> I need to find the answer. So if anyone out there knows about Nicodemia, I just was, it, I sort of had it in the back of my mind because I knew that it was one that can cope with more shade than most. What and is, it the, does what is have the second these, name? Nicodemia what? Uh, diversifolia. Oh, diversifolia, okay. No, yeah, I've never. So anything, anyone, any intelligence on that? It, it just does look like an oak, oak seedling, but apparently it's a good plant for semi-shade. So again, uh, I guess some of these things um, have fallen out of favour or possibly were never that popular in the first place. But I, I like to sort of seek out weird and wonderful things. So that was one th <laughs> one thing I that I was reminded of when I was thinking about low light plants. Well, it's on a bonsai site, and it's also called Budlea indica. And it says it's from Madagascar. Oh. So and there's not a lot of low light plants coming out of Madagascar unless wow. it's growing you know, under a rock or something. The plot thickens. Wow. Well, I don't know about that. That's We'll we'll try to see what we can find out. And it, and it says it was one of the old time house plants that were used extensively from the 20s through the 40s. Well, maybe it needs to come back because oh. nothing, everything, you know, nothing new under the sun. So it's got to be out there someplace. Yeah. He's using it as a bonsai. We'll have to look it up. Now you've got me on the search. <laughs> I know. Oh, sorry. The other sort of uh, plant that was popular in the past, but is coming is coming back and is great, I think, for low light and perhaps is the old version of the double Z plant in terms of dealing with low light is, of course, the Aspidistra. Are you an Aspidistra fan? I am. You do, I love Aspidistra. It's in my it's in my uh, and then my my friend just sang me that song about the Aspidistra. It's a it's a song. I'm like, OK. Oh yeah, I have to, the greatest aspidistra in the world, or something. The biggest aspidistra in the world, or something like that. It's a oh, really cute yes. song. Oh yes, there is a song. <laughs> there is a really cute song. You're <laughs> absolutely right. And these plants, I guess, are double Z-like in their abilities to just withstand really dark and miserable conditions. They don't grow very much, though, do they? If I will tell you that I have one. I have Milky Way, which is, which of course is variegated. Mm -hmm. So we all know variegated plants need more light. And I had it uh, near an east window, and it was doing, it was. Very thick and fabulous because I have pictures of it. And then for the book, you can see it's a little sparse. It's still the same plant because I went to buy one for, you know, we had to buy some plants for the, to shoot because we didn't, I didn't have every plant, which is unbelievable. But mm -hmm. my husband's like, really? You don't? Are you sure? <laughs> or they may not have looked book worthy. Let's just say that. And my estimation really wasn't book worthy, but it was, they, they were like $75. I'm like, I'm not spending, and it was just a plain green one, kind of floppy. I'm like, I'm, I, I'm not, I don't know. <laughs> I can't. So I used mine and it's gotten, and I had put it in a corner 
in my dining room corner, which has a west window, but it was the corner that was not, you know, it was not getting any sun shining. And if I put it in the other window, it might have worked, you know, when the sun swung around. Um, and it got pretty, it got pretty um, sparse. So I'm putting it back into, a, you know, back into higher light, trying to bring it back, especially after I saw how expensive they were. And then when I was in Chicago um, at Sprout Home, I bought a variegated, like a white and green variegated one. It has about six leaves on it. And I'm not going to tell you. Yeah, <laughs> it was expensive and I love it. But the dark green one, yes, will take very low light. As you say, it's probably a more expensive alternative than buying a double Z plant, which seem to be very common now. But yeah, the Aspidistra is not a cheap plant to buy, that's for sure. I guess you can take comfort in the fact it should last you over 100 years. So uh, that's a that's a good thing. But but the ZZ plant here still isn't all that cheap here in America. And we had do not we do not have Raven yet. It is not available. I have not seen it commercially available yet. They said this oh, fall. Oh, wow. Okay. Do you, ha- do you have the raven? Yeah, yeah, it's green? available here. It's available here. Um, I'm actually, well, I've I've been trying to cultivate leaflets um, of a stem that I got saying. In fact, I'm just going to have a look at this now. It's and It was all going so well, and then they kind of went a bit, uh, yeah, went a bit dead, some of them. So I'm, I don't know how many I've got left that are actually okay and on their way to, but it's very, very slow. It's not, They're very you slow. Know, the dark well, the, all, the and ZZ plants are because actually it was funny. I had a, uh, one of my daughter's friends was looking for a ZZ plant, and I told her where she could get one. And I had been there, and I I told her the really really big one, like in a fourteen inch pot, was was a hundred dollars. And she's like, okay, I think I'll go back and get the you know six inch, you know maybe the twenty dollar one or the twenty five dollar one. So they're still pretty pricey as plants go. You're not you know you're probably not going to find one for under ten dollars, at the very least. They're going to be twenty to. $100. If you really want a great big one that would make a statement and fill a corner, you're going to spend upwards of $100. Yeah. And are they popular in offices? Because they are really big office plant here. I, I assume they probably are. I have not. Um, I haven't been in that business for a while and I don't ever go mm. to an office. But um, yeah, I think they would. I would be using them a lot. They're beautiful. I mean, it's, it's such a shiny. They're shiny green. They can almost just live they live in very low light they're beautiful i'm sure they're using them extensively yeah we used to have them in my office when i was working at the guardian and they were uh well they just didn't change they just stayed exactly the same which is i guess ideal in an office you don't want office plants to grow massively out of their space or um you know do think do unexpected things so that that is why they are popular and that's that's another thing to tell people is that when you have a plant in low light it is not going to grow in leaps and bounds you know, so you're, and that's why those are a little pricier, like the Aspidistra and the ZZ plant. They don't grow very many leaves a year, so they're very slow growing. And so when you get a a, a good sized plant, it's been growing for in the with the grower for a long time, most likely. So that's why they may you may be paying a little more for them. So don't expect a plant that you have in the, you know, in a darker area to grow in leaps and bounds and just fill the corner immediately because it's not going to happen. I mean, it is if you're looking for something that's large and t- has some heft but won't grow quickly, is Monstra Deliciosa a good choice there in that it will cope with the low light but it won't? It just won't put on so much growth? I just got one and I mine is kind of in a higher light situation and I kind of it's getting bigger than what I want it to get. So yeah, mm. it probably would be <laughs> good for me to move it, move it someplace where it's not going to get quite as much light and slow it down and slow it down a little bit 
when I was a kid, the doctor's surgery where I lived had this big monster in it. And I swear every time I, as a kid, you know, I was into houseplants. So I was looking at this thing. And every time I went there, I was thinking it looks exactly the same. It doesn't move. Nothing's changed. No leaves have grown. No leaves have died. It's just exactly the same, which is, I guess, why it was a popular um, plant for places like waiting rooms. Um, it just it just was in stasis waiting for conditions to improve. Right. And, you know, that's a, that's a good you know, that is a good, um, you know, a thing to point out that a lot of the interior plantscaping, they want plants. They don't really want plants to outgrow their space and they would have to trim them a lot and prune them a lot. So, and they are low light spots. So yeah, they're just kind of maintaining. They're not, they're not declining. You want your plant not to decline. You want it to either maintain or grow. So you have to have a given at least enough light to maintain itself. If you see it start declining, then, you know, maybe it just doesn't have enough light. And it, you need to move it a little, try somehow to get it a little more light. It's a delight to have you on the show again and get your insight into low light plants. It's a wonderful area of experimentation. And provided that we're prepared for a few dropped leaves along the way, I think everyone can find a plant that works for, for them. I, I think so. You know, if you, have, if you have enough light to read by during the day, you should be able to find a plant, you know, without a light on. Um, you should be able to find a plant that will survive at the very least for a while, you know, and before it starts declining, you know, and see, you know, find a plant that works for you because everybody should have a little green in their life. That's my motto. That is a great note to finish on. Thanks so much to Lisa. And you can find all the details of her new book, Grow in the Dark, in my show notes at janeperone.com, where you'll also find a list of the plants we've talked about and a summary of Lisa's tips. And of course, reference to the Nicodemia diversifolia that we have a chat about, the strange Atlantis of houseplants. If you've got one of these sitting in your front room, I want to know about it. Uh, any information you can pass on, I'd be more than grateful to receive. That rounds up this week's show. I'll be back next Friday for episode 100. I know the tension is incredible, but you're just going to have to wait till next week. And in the meantime, have a fantastic week with your plants. Take care. Bye. This week's ad music was provided by the Heftone Banjo Orchestra with Whistling Rufus and Dill Pickles. You also heard Overthrown by Josh Woodward. All these tracks are licensed under Creative Commons. See janeperone.com for details. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.